Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. Today brings us to part three of our series, Our Sword and Our Shield. We had such an incredible response to our uh, our yearly Bible reading plan, and if uh, we still have a few of the daily journals, reading journals available. Uh, if you would like to get one of those and get into the get into the swing of it, so last Sunday we discussed and and hopefully we kind of cemented in our hearts that the Bible is in fact the actual true Word of God. Amen. Words that we can trust our very lives to. And this morning, I want us to look at the topic of how the Bible changes us. That's the title of the message. How does it, the Bible bring change into our life? You know, the Bible is, is, we've determined it's absolutely unlike any other book in existence. There are millions and millions of books in existence. There's a lot of good books in the world. In fact, there are some really great books. There are even what I would call some really super great books, pieces of classic literature that have changed the world. I have personally read several of these books. How about you? Green Eggs and Ham? Cat in the Hat? Curious George? I've read them. But this book that we're talking about this morning, the Bible, is so completely different than any other book. It has this supernatural power to literally change lives like no other book. And the reason it has power to change lives is because it is, in fact, the Word of God. Amen? Now, last week, we looked at seven reasons that we can trust the Bible and know for certain that it is uh, no ordinary human book, that it's not just a bunch of fictional stories written by someone who was hoping to make a point, or a bunch of human ideas written down trying to present some form of popular psychology, but that it is, in fact, the actual Word of God. The Word of God is the most powerful thing in existence. In not just this universe, in any universe, in all of existence, the Word of God is the most powerful thing. In fact, the Bible says the universe was created by the Word of God. God just spoke it into existence, didn't he? For hundreds of years, scientists thought that the universe was infinite that it was eternal. It had no definite beginning or end. But now, science is proving that to be incorrect. Now, modern science is saying that there is actually hard evidence that a universe has a definite beginning and that it will have a definite end. They, don't, they just don't know exactly when that will be, but they see it coming. This is what they've discovered after thousands of years of science. Can you imagine all the money and research time it took them to come up with this conclusion? They could have just read the Bible and they would have had the answer years ago, right? I always like the analogy of the guy who 
asked, he posed this question to a world-renowned archaeologist. He said, let me ask you, who actually oversaw the construction and the financing of the great pyramids of Egypt? And this great archaeologist, he paused and he said, well, after many thousands of research hours and many, many millions of dollars, we are pretty sure it was a guy named Eddie. See, I got a few snickers. I thought that's an old Stephen Wright joke. I thought it was hilarious because that, that just sums up our government, you know. That's kind of how we operate. But the Bible clearly tells us that God created this universe and this earth by just merely speaking it into existence. And that one day, he's going to just speak it all out of existence. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. You know, there are a lot of scientists, probably the most popular theory of how this universe began is known as the Big, the big Bang Theory. Not talking about the TV show, we're talking about real science here. And I'll tell you what, I'm okay with that. I don't have a problem with that theory. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying I don't have a problem with it. I do have a problem with people that believe, you know, we crawled up out of the water, little tadpoles, and now here we are. But the whole idea of the Big Bang Theory, that's okay with me because here's what I say. You can quote me on this. Behind every Big Bang is someone who caused the bang. How many of you parents know this to be true? You know, you hear, what, what are you kids doing? Nothing. We're doing absolutely nothing. But yet, they'll pay no attention to that huge bang you just heard. It's, it was from nothing. And we as parents go, oh, okay, well, I thought for sure somebody caused that big bang. It sounded like the house was coming down. I'm glad to know nothing caused that. We know that's ridiculous, Right? Behind every big bang is someone who caused the bang. Psalm 33.6. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture this morning if you're taking notes. Psalm 33.6 says, The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. You know how many stars there are out floating in the universe? A lot. More than we can count. And you know, the stars are basically just like our sun. They're just much, much further away. Some are a little smaller. Some are way, way bigger. But they're actually just these big burning clumps of nuclear energy. And I'm telling you, are they ever hot? Any idea how hot they are? Probably pretty hot. In actuality, scientists say that most stars are about 5,000 degrees hot out at the surface, but can be as much as 10 million degrees at the core. That's pretty hot, right? So it's fine with me if you want to consider this Big Bang Theory, because I would have to guess that when God spoke these millions of stars into existence all at once, it had to have made a really Big Bang. Had to have. But I want to say that behind that big bang was the word of God. 
But if someone wants to believe that all of this incredible and, and mysterious universe just happened by chance, you know, just all kind of came together, then I'd say to that person, man, you've got a lot more faith than I do. If that's what you choose to believe. They got more, you have more faith than me, but I can tell you your faith is very misplaced. Things don't just happen out of nothing. As we've established, all of us that have been parents, we, we know that to be true. Aristotle's theory of spontaneous generation, that things could just materialize out of nothing, was disproven in the mid-1800s by Louis Pasteur. Give you a little science lesson this morning. Basically, he discovered whenever there's a cause and effect, there's a cause that creates the effect. God simply spoke things into existence. He said, let there be light. There was light. He said, you know, let there be this and that and everything. Just spoke it into existence. When Lazarus died, Jesus got there a little bit late, didn't he? Got there a few days late. He'd been dead and stuck in that hot, sticky tomb for about four days. When I was over in the Holy Land, that is the tomb of Lazarus. That's me standing down inside the tomb of Lazarus. That was a very, man, just awe-inspiring feeling. And then as I was climbing up out of that tomb to get down in there, I'm sure Lazarus was a lot thinner than me. Because for a second there, I thought they were going to have to like butter up my sides and pull me out with a rope. I mean, <laughs> getting down in there. But I guarantee you that at the end of four days, Lazarus was neither looking nor smelling his best, right? And Jesus just stood outside that tomb and he hollered in there. Basically, you know, he said, Lazarus, get up and come out here, basically is what he said. And the next thing you know, here comes old Lazarus kind of crawling out of that big old stone tomb. That is the power of God's spoken word. Jesus said that his words were spirit and life. In John 3, verse 63, And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active. That word living there, the Greek word is zao. We get our English word zoo and zoology from the Greek word zao. It means to live, to be alive. It's saying that God's words are actually alive. They're alive and active, according to the Bible. The Greek word there for active is energos. And you can guess what word we get from energos, right? We get the word energy. It has, God's word has literal energy to it. It has the power to change things. Energy changes things. In other words, the Bible can cut right to the heart of any issue. The word of God literally has the ability to point out what's wrong in my life and to tell me what I need to do to bring correction in my life. Now, some people, the biggest problem they have in life is that they feel the Bible is, is showing them what's wrong in everybody else's life. Maybe you've met some, some of those people before. And they're real quick to tell you how you can correct yourself. But I'm telling you, God's word is there 
for us to examine ourselves. We examine ourselves, and he will show us things we need to tweak. Anybody in here, you got any issues in your life that could use a little tweaking? And the rest of you are just liars, huh? <laughs> we get that a lot. Is this? We've all got areas in our life we need a little tweaking. The Bible says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and joint and marrow. It judges our thoughts and our attitudes of our heart. So the Bible can cut right to the heart of any issue. The Word of God points out to us what's going on in our life. And what is it that I need in my life? I need the same thing in my life that you need in your life. Change. We're all in a constant process of allowing God to bring change into our life. No matter how long we live, no matter how long we read his word, we never get fully there. We never are going to reach a, stage, reach a state of perfection in our life. We need to change the things in our life that give us problems from time to time. Things that aren't right and true in our life. Chances are you have tried to change things in your life on your own, but chances are also very good you're still dealing with them. That's why we need the Word of God. The Bible says that the Word of God is able to change those things in our life that we're not able to change, that we've been unsuccessful in trying to change. D.L. Moody, remember that name? Very, very famous pastor in the 1800s founded Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. He had a quote that said, the Bible wasn't given to increase our knowledge, it was given to change our life. So this morning, I'm going to give you seven ways that the Word of God brings change into our life. Last week, it was seven reasons that we can believe that God's Word is that the Bible is actually the Word of God this morning, seven ways that word can bring change into our life if we will allow it. Amen? The first way it brings change into our life is it recreates our life. That means when my life is falling apart and life has just, you know, seems like life's just gone to the dogs, when I feel like I'm at the end of the rope, God will come in and just completely recreate it if I will allow him to do that. He'll give me a whole new life, a fresh start. The Bible calls it being born again. It's really that dramatic. Being born again means you get a whole new life. You don't just turn over a new leaf. I mean, you get the whole tree, right? You get to start with an absolutely clean, fresh slate. James 1.8 says, He chose to give us birth, through the word of truth. This new birth comes one way, through his word. Without the word of God, none of us could have salvation, right? Without the word of God, none of us would be headed toward heaven. You know why? Because we wouldn't even know about heaven, right? We wouldn't know about Jesus dying on a cross to pay the price for our sins, we wouldn't know that all we have to do is just simply ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins and he'll do it. We would have no knowledge of that. 
We talked a couple of weeks ago about how the Bible is often compared to a seed. It compares itself to a seed. It's like a seed that gets planted in your life, and once it, it begins to take root, man, it begins to grow and then actually begins to bear fruit that you can actually see and experience in your life. It recreates us, amen? The second way the Bible changes our life is it erases our guilt. This is really important. Because when we ask God to forgive us of our sins, it's important that we don't keep hauling all the guilt and shame around with us. It's huge. With Jesus in our lives, the power of his word can erase, it will erase, the weight of guilt and shame from past sins that we committed. We don't have to walk around thinking about what horrible people we've been and are. There's a lot of people who get stuck in the memories of their past. You know, either people have hurt them and they've got all this anger and resentment, or, or maybe they are the ones who've hurt others and they have all this guilt and shame. God gave us his word to completely erase all of those feelings of guilt and shame that we tend to deal with in life. John 1, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, from all sinful past. Some people refer to this verse as the soap dish verse. Because God's saying, I'm going to give you a little bath and we're going to wash all that dirt away. Romans 8.1, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you might say, you mean God isn't going to punish me for all the terrible things I, I have done in my life? Nope. Not if you ask him to forgive you. He's already paid the price for them, right? Now, if you refuse to ask forgiveness, punishment's coming. Maybe you think you're getting away with it right now. I'm telling you, payday will eventually arrive. The only way to escape it is to admit our sins and to ask God to forgive them. Then whew, they disappear. Isn't that fantastic? So the word of God recreates our life. It eradicates our guilt, gets rid of our guilt. And thirdly, it activates our faith. There's a, a lot of people out there today, maybe somebody in here today, who you just are flat out scared to death about what tomorrow holds. People are afraid of failure. People get all knotted up. They're afraid of uh, not having enough money, afraid of health issues, afraid of dying. They have very little confidence because they have very little faith. Faith is activated by the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. If you've ever been reading a verse of Scripture, and all of a sudden uh, you just feel like you've been empowered to you know, accomplish something, you just sort of feel like, you know what, I can do this thing. You have just had your faith activated by the word of God. Now this Here's the huge difference. That, that is the huge difference, really, between the Bible and just some good self-help book. 
that people clamor to the bookstores. You know, they got a dozen different self-help books that they're reading, trying to get themselves all straightened out. You see, the difference is a self-help book, it could give you some good ideas, tell you some things to do, but it's never going to give you the power to do those things. They're just suggestions. A good self-help book might say something like, you know, well, if you want to be successful, stop worrying about everything. Oh, that's good advice, right? It might say, give up those habits that are causing you harm. That's good advice. But you're never going to find the power to actually do it within that book. So, you know, like I said, it's good advice, but the problem is, You've already tried to get rid of your old bad habits, and you've failed, and that's why you're now spending money on this self-help book, right? You tried it on your own. I like this story. I told you about the time I went into the bookstore. You walk in, there's a little kiosk with a guy sitting there. I said, excuse me, sir, could you tell me where the self-help section is? He looked at me and said, well, I could, but that would kind of defeat the purpose, wouldn't it? I pause because sometimes it takes a little while for the neurons to connect. Self-help books, they might have a lot of good words. Some of them have a lot of bad words. But even if they got a lot of good words, they're not alive. Those words have no real power. The power of God's word not only gives us great advice and direction for our life, it actually gives us the power to do it. And that increases our faith. The fourth way that God brings change into his word, brings change into our life is is that it stimulates our growth. You know, first it recreates my life and it helps to get rid of all the guilt and shame. It wipes the slate clean. And then it begins to activate our faith, which causes us to start growing in faith. There is a great promise of God. You find it in Acts 20, 32. It says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That's kind of a mouthful there, isn't it? What does that mean? I'll give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Well, everybody knows what an inheritance is, right? An inheritance is something that is handed down to you because you belong to a certain family, right? We all the time, you hear, if you spend any time in church, you talk about that we are heirs of Christ Jesus. We're heirs to the kingdom. And I've always liked this illustration. I've used it before, but it's worth using again. Let's say that your father was Warren Buffett. You know who that is? One of the richest men in the world? Anybody here actually wish your father was Warren Buffett? (laughs) Some things just kind of run in the family, don't they? (laughs) Smart Alec. You don't actually think I put him up to that, right? (laughs) But this makes for a great illustration. Let's just say for a moment, use your imagination, that Warren Buffett is actually your father. 
He's the CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, which, you know, you can still buy stock in. It's a little pricey. I used to work for Caterpillar Tractor Company. Once in a while, I'm just curious, I look to see what the stock price is. Right now, it's about $188 a share. That's pretty good. Berkshire Hathaway stock's going to set you back a few more bucks. Right now, one share of Berkshire Hathaway stock will cost you almost $350,000. But anyway, Warren Buffett, he's getting pretty old. I think he's in his 90s. And let's say that he just up and dies, but right before he died, he's your father. He had rewritten his will, and he put it in an envelope, and he just handed it to you and said, here's my will and testament. I want you to have it. And so he, he passes away, and then you just put that envelope in a drawer, and you just forget about it. You never take time to stop and read the will. Man, if you did that, that would be really dumb, wouldn't it? The reason it would be dumb is because you would not be getting in on what was rightfully yours. You wouldn't be benefiting from the fact that you are a child of Warren Buffett. Does anybody see where this is going? When you become a follower of Jesus, you become a part of his family. And with that comes some great privileges and promises. There is a spiritual inheritance that you're going to get from God here on earth and in heaven. And I will tell you this, God is way, way richer than Warren Buffett. You want to be in on this inheritance. That's all I'm saying. But what if you were to go through your entire life not knowing the power the opportunities and the blessings and the benefits that are available to you as a child of God. That would be like being a child of Warren Buffett and never bothering to read his will. God wants to grow your faith and give you the inheritance that he has for you, has for each of us. And the purpose of the Bible is to help you live out that purpose that God has for your life. The fifth change that, God, that God's Word brings into our life is that it illuminates our minds. God's Word has a very, very distinct way of just turning the light on, so to speak, in our life. Understanding your, your Word, understanding the Word of God brings light to the minds of ordinary people. God wants to light up our minds with the truth of who He is, what our next step in life is, how to handle feelings that we're experiencing, how to make good choices day to day. And He does that by turning on spiritual lights in our lives. That doesn't usually happen instantly. You've probably, how many of you have ever opened the Bible, you read something, and when you get done reading it, you sit there and you're thinking, I got no idea what that just said. Anybody other than me? You think, I just spent 10 minutes reading. I don't really get what it's saying to me. And of course, then you just get up and you move on, right? Job, there you go. <laughs> There's a, it gets a little rough there for a while, doesn't it? Some of you have a hard time keeping track of who is actually talking at the time because apparently there's a little audience of men around him and they're kind of having this conversation. Man, boy, you got to really concentrate. Who just said that? 
Anybody experience that while you were here? Was it just me? I had to go back and make sure who was saying what. Yeah, you, you got to pay attention, don't you? And sometimes we read it. We don't know for sure what we've read. A lot of that has to do with instruction that we find in Psalms 119.99. Now, you're going to find out through the course of this series, there's a ton of verses we're going to use from Psalm 119. That's not just because it is the longest chapter in all of the Bible. It's mainly because that longest chapter in all the Bible is all about the Bible itself. Psalm 119, 99. That verse says, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. Now notice it did not say, I have more insight than all of my teachers, because once in a while I kind of glance over the scriptures, you know, if, if I have a chance. It doesn't say that, does it? It's telling us the opposite, that just glancing at the word is probably never going to cut it for us. The Bible itself is telling us that for it to really illuminate things, for those light switches to start clicking on, that we've got to meditate on it. That means read it, maybe read it again, think about it, and then maybe read it again. That's what it takes sometimes. There's a lot of people that think that meditation, they hear that word meditation, they think that's just some weird thing that people in Eastern religions and mysticism do. No. Real, true meditation, I'll tell you, it has nothing to do with expanding your mind and becoming one with the universe. God never even created you to be one with the universe. He made you in completely unique from everyone else. Real meditation is simply about focusing your mind on the Word of God so He can start turning those lights on. When you soak your mind in the Word, the lights just start to come on. And here we go again, Psalm 119, verse 105. It couldn't be any more clear. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path. Through his word, God turns on these lights that we need to kind of move us in the right direction. You know, back in biblical times, people would have read that. They would have probably pictured a lantern with a candle or something, you know, kind of lighting our way. Today, we read that. We're more apt to think of like a flashlight with LED lights you know, shining out in front of us so we can see where we're going. But how many of you have noticed that even with, uh, with most flashlights, it doesn't really light up your path all that far? The only way to keep seeing ahead of you is to keep taking steps. And then the light just keeps shining outward. Too often, we want God to light up the entire path all at once. In other words, God, I, just need, I want you to show me how my entire life is going to turn out. You know, could you please just show me how, how my life is going to play out here? But that is rarely, rarely how God works. Normally, God is probably going to say, not to speak for God, but from my life experience, he's probably going to say something like this to you. He's probably going to say, no, I am not going to light up the whole path. But I'll give you this promise. I will give you enough light to take the next few steps. You take those steps, and I'll light up some more of the path. 
Haven't you found that that is normally how it works? But sometimes we choose to get ourselves stuck in life. You know how we usually get ourselves stuck and we're in one of these ruts, we're not moving forward, you know, we, we don't feel God is speaking to us, He's not showing us anything. Usually we get ourselves stuck because we cop an attitude that says this. We say to God, you know what, God? I'm not taking another step until you light up more of my path, till I can see further down the road. That's when we get stuck because God has got a lot of time. And you are never going to outweigh God. You just need to take a step and get yourself unstuck. Here's the sixth way God, the sixth way that God's word changes our life. It elevates our mood. Anybody here today you could use a little mood elevation? Maybe you're down in the dumps. Maybe you feel like nobody really cares. Maybe you are having a pity party and you're the only one that you invited. Whenever we get discouraged, we don't need a coffee break. We, what we really need is a word break. We need some more of the word. God gave us the Bible to encourage us. It is absolutely a, a mood elevator. Here's a, a verse that points to that, Romans 15:4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The four key words in that one verse, if you're taking notes, are everything. That's a powerful word, right? Everything, and encouragement, scriptures, and hope. Those four words. First of all, everything in the scriptures is there to encourage us, to lift us up. Even the tough parts that we're not all that crazy about are there to stretch us, to teach us, and ultimately to elevate us, to lift us up. They're there to encourage us by moving us, keeping us moving in that right direction, even though we may not be crazy about it at the time. You read the word, you think about it, and then you give God a chance to bring some change into your life. Here's a great verse to substantiate that. Guess what chapter of the Bible it's in? Psalm 119, verse 114. You're my place of quiet retreat. I wait for your word to renew me. The word of God encourages us and it renews us. And so finally, here is the seventh way that God's word brings change into our life. This one is really important too. It elevates our potential. This one is really important because only, really only God, the person who created you, he is really the only one that knows what your full potential is. Your parents don't know your full potential. Your spouse doesn't know it. Your friends don't know it. Your boss don't know it. The funny thing is, is you, you don't even know it. You do not even know what your full potential is. Only God knows that about us. You don't know the greatness that is inside of you. God is the only one that knows what you're really capable of. 
All you need to do is, as he illuminates that path, you've just got to keep walking. And I'm telling you, he will take you places you never dreamt possible. The vast majority of people today are really living their lives for simply the expectation and approval of people around them. They live their life based on what others are going to think. Or they might be living their life based on what others have told them about themselves. You can't do that. You know, how many people told Noah, you can't do that. You'll never be able to do this. You should be doing this. Don't you want to be like us? You're never going to amount to anything. I will tell you this. It's not that any of us need more intelligence. You know, sometimes, they, boy, if I was just smarter, if I was just had a little more intelligence. God has given all of us plenty of intelligence. We just need to help him unlock that in us. Did you know the average person uses only about 10% of their total brain capacity? Most of us have about 90% of our potential just kind of lying around doing nothing. Isn't that amazing? God is the only one that can really unlock all of that unused potential in our life. It's amazing to think about the power contained in this one book, the Bible. It'll recreate your life. It'll erase all of your sins. It'll activate your faith. It, it will bring you confidence and courage in your life. It'll cause your faith to grow. It'll light up your mind so that you can begin to make wise decisions instead of bad decisions. It'll lift you up and elevate your mood so you're not always, you know, walking around like somebody just kicked your dog. It'll, it will free up and unlock your potential so that you can be whatever it is that God created for you to be. Anybody interested in experiencing those things in your life? Man, it's all right in that one book. Those are seven ways that God brings change to us. So the question becomes, how do I, how do I gain all of these great benefits? We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. But in a nutshell, it's a three-step process. One, you learn it. Secondly, you accept it. And thirdly, you do it. First of all, you've got to learn it, right? You cannot do something that you've never learned. In the 12th chapter of Mark, Jesus told the Pharisees, this was interesting, he said to the Pharisees, you know what your problem is? Your problem is that you don't know the Scriptures. He was talking to the Pharisees. They think they know everything there is to know, right? Jesus was saying, basically, I'm paraphrasing, he says, your big problem is you don't know the Scriptures like you think you know. Now, this, pay attention to this. This is, this is, this is big. Everyone's biggest, here is everyone's biggest problem in life. You ready? This is everybody's biggest problem. What you think is your problem is really not your problem because your problem is never the problem. Your problem is always how you respond to the problem. That's our biggest problem. 
two people could be experiencing the exact same problem, right? And yet one might overcome it and experience success in life, while the other one may succumb to that problem and be a miserable failure. Now, they both had the exact same problem. So the problem itself was not the problem, right? The problem was how they chose to respond to the problem. Our biggest problem is usually how we respond to problems. Every time we've gotten ourselves in some giant, you know, mess in life, you can almost always trace it back to the way we responded to a particular problem we were having. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisee, your problem is you don't really know the scriptures. That's why we've got to learn the scriptures for ourselves. And after we learn them, then it takes us to step two. We have to accept them as truth, right? That means we're going to accept the Bible, God's word, as the complete authority for our life, period. No exceptions. Now, I will tell you, there are things in the Bible that I don't fully understand, but I accept them through faith. There are things in the Bible I'm not really crazy about, but I accept them. You know, if somebody hauls off and slaps you across the face, who gets all excited? Great, now I have an opportunity to turn the other cheek and let them whack me again. Is that something you kind of get excited about? Is it in the Bible? It's one of those things, isn't it? But we have to go into it knowing if we'll just be obedient, some victory is going to come somewhere down the road. There's going to be blessing from being obedient and turning that other cheek even when we didn't want to. You know, our own will said, you're not going to turn the other cheek. You're going to let the, put this person in their place right now. And when we do that, we lose all blessing that could have been experienced somewhere down the road, right? There are things in the Bible that are inconvenient, but we have to accept them through our faith that it's for our own good. You know, I believe we have to know that God knows what we need in our life much better than what we think we need. And then the third part, I'm giving you the condensed Cliff Notes version here. We're going to unpack this a lot more. The third thing is that we then have to act on it, right? We have to learn it, then we have to accept it, but it can't just stop there, right? We then have to do something about it. John 13, 17 says this, now that you know these things, you will be blessed because you know them. How many of you caught that? That was a test. It doesn't say you're going to be blessed now that you know them. You'll be blessed because you know them. No, it actually says this. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I was just checking. You know, knowing them is never enough. Satan knows the Bible. There's a good chance he knows God's word better than most of us. He's been dealing with it for thousands and thousands of years. He knows the Bible. Is he going to be blessed because he knows it? No. We're only blessed by knowing and doing what God's Word says. We're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. 
This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578. 